This is an interview on Monday, January 31st, 2022, with Fire Breathers, Matthias by Nick Perkel. Now, Matthias, what was it like getting your very first guitar? So when I was a kid, I was listening to uh, a band called Sisters of Mercy, um, like heavily. Uh, and what, what had a big impact on me about those guys were the, the bass lines. They were melodic, but so heavy and so slow. So I, uh, uh, I, I picked up a bass. I, I bought myself a bass and uh, started playing bass just to learn those uh, bass lines, basically, and play along to the Sisters of Mercy songs. Um, and that, that uh, went on for a while. But then, of course, Nirvana dropped Nevermind. And uh, that uh, kind of made me sell the bass and buy a guitar. <laughs> so I bought a white Fender uh, Squire, uh, like a Stratocaster. Um, so yeah, that's my very first, uh, guitar and what were some of your favorite things you learned in the music education program growing up in Sweden? Well, so we all got to pick out, pick out like an instrument, I think in grade four and, um, everybody was going with like the trumpet or the clarinet or, uh, the Spanish guitar or the piano. I, I I wasn't into any of those at the time. So and I I think also I wanted something that stood out. I wanted to do something different. So I uh, I picked a, not a horn. I don't know what you call it to be honest, but it's like a horn, and it goes around and around and around and around, and it ends up with this big fucking like uh, uh, like the hole is so giant, right? Um, but it's it's a it's, it's a type of horn, anyways. Um, and uh, so I did that, and I played in a local orchestra, like the school orchestra, for for a while. Um, and then they told me that they didn't have a, a spot for that instrument in the uh, orchestra. So they asked if I would consider uh, starting on the trombone. <laughs> so, so I did that. I played the trombone for a while. And... Um, so that's kind of the uh, my experience with it, and um, um, then of course, you know, like at the time when I was in school, there weren't any. You couldn't bring uh, a song to class and 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 like learn it because it was all it was always the the classical tunes and you know. <laughs> I just grew tired of it and wanted to play the stuff that I was listening to, of course, you know, and. So, like, my experience is it's pretty, it kind of drowned my musical, like, my interest to play music a bit because it was so rigid. It was so square, like, you need to play these songs that are provided by the, like, the, um, what do you call the guy that, like, runs an orchestra? The conductor? Uh, like, you got to play the songs that he decides, so... But now, when the kids are grown up and they learn music in school, they get to bring their own, like their their favorite songs, and learn how to play them. So that's that's really nice. <laughs> I wish I had that. Um, but yeah, I think we have a good music program here, and um, I just think that when I was was a kid, it wasn't the same. And I, I feel like now it's 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 really something good.
tell me about your music collection and some of the more notable albums you've been listening to in the past few years during the writing of Dwell in the Fog. Well, um, my music collection is a lot of things, like anything from the Beatles to Wolves in the Throne Room, you know, like, or Slayer or uh, the Melvins or uh, Yob. Um, Rolling Stones, fuck, I, I, I listen to like such a broad variety of music. So ZZ Top, of course, like the, ZZ Top is like the go-to. So I, that's probably what I've listened most to. Um, I'm really bad when it comes to picking up new stuff. Like, I don't know why. I always seem to go back to the older <laughs> records for some reason. Um but yeah, a lot of ZZ Top and um, Pink Floyd, of course. We listen a lot of uh, a lot to Pink Floyd here in the jam space too. Uh, there's a lot of Entombed. The the bands that we've listened to the most uh, before writing Dwell in the Fog is ZZ Top and Entombed. I would say, <laughs> to be honest, um, all of us. Yeah. Going from Under a Blood Moon to Dwell in the Fog, what type of emotions were you channeling? And what was going on with you guys during the transition between the two albums? I think when we when we wrote Under a Blood Moon, the idea was to try and do something groovy, but really heavy and kind of dark-ish, too. Like, how do you merge those, um, uh, those three uh, components? And uh, I think that uh, Under Blood Moon is a result of that. For Dwell in the Fog, I think we kind of just wanted to elaborate on that and see what we could do. We had also gotten a new bass player. So the pandemic happened, right? Uh, our bass player quit, like, right at the beginning of it. So uh, it was just me and Axel, the drummer, for a while. And uh, while looking for uh, a suitable bass player, we wrote songs and felt like, in a way... The pandemic was a uh, blessing in disguise for us because we had time to to write, even though we weren't uh, a full band. And it all worked out really well. With the uh, introduction of Nick to the band, like that just took our groove part to a different level because he just floats around on the bass, which adds a really nice uh, element to the stuff that me and Axel have been doing and still are doing. I think our plan was to just see where we could t- take our initial idea for Under a Blood Moon and just take it further. You added uh, Nick to your lineup in 2018. What was it about his style that just attracted you to bring him into the band? And how has his like, entrance into the band changed the personality of how you guys compose new songs? Uh, just a mix between Cliff Burton and Geezer Butler. <laughs> so... You get the heavy, like, or like the the thrashy um, parts, and you get the, uh, the slower and the doomier and the groovier parts uh, too. So it's a really nice mix, and it's funny to me because he said that he he's he's not like really used to this style of music that we are playing, and he it's it's sort of new to him, but it feels like it's so natural and. Uh, it blends in really well with what we're doing. So 
Fuck, I feel like sometimes when we're standing here jamming, I feel like we're a doomy, doomy ZZ Top, or maybe that's just wishful thinking, but like, that's how I feel inside when we play together. Well, so Nick came in way or a bit sooner into the writing process of uh, Dwell in the Fog. So I guess we had already picked up like a like a course where we were going with with things and uh, a lot of the most of the guitar stuff uh, were written already. So Nick kind of had um, like a clean slate, like he could do pretty much anything he wanted. And um, I think it turned out really well. And I think it um, just adds like it adds because we're, we're a three piece and with him covering a lot of stuff on the bass, it, it just adds to to our sound and makes it rounder and more full. So it has a lot of advantages. So I guess the next album we're, we're doing will be the first that we all write together. So that'll be interesting to see um, how we tackle that stuff. You know, but I'm excited about it. Can you speak about the studio you used and some of the recording staff? Yeah, sure. So we recorded in um, at uh, Element Studio, and uh, it's run by uh, a group of guys. It's like a uh, collective of uh, uh, people, and uh, we have a friend there, and his name is Oscar, Oscar Carlson. He recorded all Firebreather albums so far. And uh, the reason we went back to him again I guess we, I mean, we sat down and we talked about options and studios and we just started talking about Oscar again and how, like, he kind of knows, like, he knows us and he knows what we, what we want to do. It's kind of easy to communicate with him. It's a really nice studio too. So just spend a couple of days there. And uh, I mean, it, there's always a time limit because we know we're not a, a rich band by any by any stretch of <laughs> the imagination. So I think we used four days in total to record, and then we added some days to mix. Uh, so it was a really quick process. Working with Oscar makes that possible because there's not a lot of uh, language barriers in terms of what we want and how to make uh, the engineer uh, understand that. So it's really easy and quick. When it came to the recording of the album, what song came together the easiest for you? And what seemed to take up the most time or give you the most stress trying to complete it? Um, I think we had Creed like early on that was uh, left over at some point or like was forgotten about. But I think we had Creed done pretty quickly and that came 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 about really easily to us. I don't know why, but it just it just came like came to us somehow. It happened. I think Spirit's Gone uh, was one of those songs where we had a bunch of riffs, but we didn't really know how to um, put, like put it together so it flows nicely. So I think, yeah, that was one of those songs. But also we had to, because we had decided that we were, we were going to do a single album this time and not a double LP. So that kind of leaves you with, you know, a certain amount of time it's it's max 20 minutes per side so you kind of gotta 
you know, we basically the songs were much all the songs were much longer initially. And then we just like went in pretty it was a pretty brutal edit because we just like asked ourselves, do we need this part? Does it add anything to the to the song or is it just really fucking awesome to play it over and over again? We did a lot of that and uh, trimmed off a lot of fat. All of the songs had a process that was difficult because we had to cut out parts that some like one of us liked. It's the first time that I like in my music experience have have like thought in that actually cared about time because like if the songs are seven minutes 10 minutes it doesn't matter you can always make a double lp but we had decided that we were going to make a single lp so this is the first time i had to put that in into effect adding on that um for spirits flown uh, tell me about some of the equipment used and also just like the song's evolution like we all thought of that song as a Leonard skinner kind of song so it was called Leonard Skinner for the longest time uh, as a working title. <laughs> and um, pretty much our usual setup, Nick added some weird synthesizers in the be- beginning there. He's a big synthesizer fan and he's had a lot of equipment, but he sold off a lot of it uh, when he joined us because he needed some gear and stuff. <clears throat> so we had kind of promised him to like something uh synthesizer related on the album it uh so it's it's the intro there i don't know like it's the ending riff or and the the intro riff i feel like it has such a leonard skinner feel to it (laughs) and then um takes off into a different direction but then it comes back uh kind of where we started off and it just to me to me this song is um sort of like this is going to sound like a negative experience, but like if you could imagine that you're very constipated and then at the end of the song, it's just release, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, but uh, I think of Lyndon Skinner every time I hear it. For the title track, To On The Fog, what was it about that track that made you pick it as the title track? I think just lyric-wise, lyrically, and uh, like without getting too deep into what that is about, it's just that a lot of these songs are something uh, that's just been like a big part of my my last years, like my my headspace, like my mental state, where I am. It's just, it's basically, I feel like a... Uh, notebook <clears throat> of thoughts where um, I reflect on my last three, four years. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to write anybody, like I'm never going to like straight out <laughs> write what it is I'm saying. But so it's, it's um, covered up in all these uh, epic stories and stuff. But like, with what I wanted to say on the album lyrically, I think this song summed, summed it up best. So, and that's probably why it became the uh, the title track. And um, to me, it's a bit of a standout track because it's something that we uh, haven't done before necessarily. It's it's a bit slower. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a slow and heavy song. 
So what was the order of the completed songs like for the compositions on the album? So Creed came first, I think. And to be honest, quite sure. I knew I know we had um I know we had Sorrow, the riff for Sorrow pretty early on, but that's a bit of a that's also another standout song. So we I don't think we were quite sure what to do with that riff, but that came to it and uh, tried to make it into a song. I think we ended up uh, finishing that one pretty early. So Creed, Sorrow, and then can't really remember the other ones in which order they uh, they were finished, but um, it's all a blur. <laughs> Everything in the pandemic is a blur, <laughs> you know? Can you fill me in on the set list and what it'll be like for fans seeing you on the upcoming tour? depending on the night of course but we plan on doing a bunch of new songs we'll bring uh, a couple songs from under a blood moon and a lot of stuff from the new record i doubt we'll do anything from the first album but uh we'll see nothing is set in stone and uh we are all about giving it on stage and fucking making sure everybody is uh, feeling the same vibrations we are feeling. And, uh, uh, you know, when you get to, like, we've toured with Monolord a couple times now, and it's always a good time. We always want to give it our all, you know, like we want to make sure that the crowd is fucking ready to go when they're, uh, you know, ready to play. And uh, it's been a nice cross-pollination uh, um, have gained a lot of fans coming from them and they've probably you know got one or two from us but it's just I feel like it's we're a live band that's where we are the best I think you know is there an album or a movie that you always go back to to pump you up like I always go back to say like Easy Rider True Romance and the Chase along with like the self-titled Rigor Mortis Ultra Violence by Death Angel and Satori by the Flower Traveling Band. <laughs> well, for me, I tend to go back to uh, the first four Black Sabbath and the Heaven and Hell album, the first five ZZ Top albums, and movie-wise, I don't know, but like I can watch. Sopranos over and over and over and over again. I think I've seen Sopranos four times, like uh, back to back. So there's something about that show that possible to just see it over and over and over again. Nick is a, probably a better guy when it comes to uh, movies. And if he had been here, he would probably give you a bunch of uh, obscure horror flicks that he goes, <laughs> goes back to. <laughs> yeah extreme horror fan what are your most cherished rarities in your music collection i have a pretty i have a couple early melvin's records that i uh cherish uh and uh, that's probably it <laughs> you know i mean i don't have a big uh, i don't have a huge uh vinyl collection i probably have uh, like 300 records or something not so not a lot at all but like I'm not married to, to, to my records in any way. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm not one to, to get every, like one album in all the colors and all that stuff. And it has to be the first press and all that stuff. Like it's never been, been something that, uh, 
a whole lot to me. Um, but I do have, yeah, a couple albums like uh, Seven Songs with Melvins and uh, uh, Houdini on, uh, I think it is Pink Vinyl. So I think those are cool. But other, other than that, I don't have any like real rar- rarities or anything like that. What is the most hallowed concert Firebreather has played? Well, oh, that's a really good question. But I think, speaking for the three of us, I think we all just loved playing Soul Crusher in Nijmegen in, in uh, Netherlands. Because the, the venue itself is just amazing and the people that work there are so fucking professional. Soul Crusher Festival was a, a nice experience in itself. And uh, we had the opportunity to pack... Uh, the room there and uh it's like 500 people so to us that was just you know like to see like the room being full like till the end of end of the show it's just very very uh it's it's a very nice experience so probably soul crusher actually last year and um we've had some really nice shows with monolord when we toured uh, europe with them uh so I, I, I'm going to say Soul Crusher. <laughs> That's a really nice one. Favorite urban legend or ghost story from Sweden? We're the most suicidal <laughs> because of the darkness up here. But I don't know. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's true anymore. I think it might have been true like for a, for a while. But like, and I don't know, like it's, of course, it's not funny. And I, I don't mean to laugh in that sense. But I feel like. That's probably the most uh, uh, famous one, or the mo- the most talked about. I would I would guess, or it's probably something else about IKEA or something. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, do you have one about us? Um, no, no. I mean, it's just I don't know. I think of just like some sort of maybe like an abominable snowman or something really scary <laughs> in the winter time, just because it's like the winter in northern europe and russia it's just like fucking yes. fierce you know yes it is it's brutal but i mean i don't have a lot of those but uh to be honest it's it's quite unique i think to like you wake up and it's it's pitch black you go to work and if you work inside you don't get a, a, like any light so when you come back from work it's pitch black again it like the sun starts to go down uh, around 2 30 i think in the afternoon so when it's dark all the time, it really does something to you. And I feel like we really do hibernate and we kind of, it's funny to see in the springtime, like how everybody just opens up and everybody's out, you know? Uh, and it, it's just, it's just like night and day, literally. Like it's such a difference. Um but I, yeah, I've never seen a snowman. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, would you like to go back to any questions? Sure. Sure. Um, uh, just, just pick anything you feel like um, you didn't get a chance to really elaborate on. Well, you asked, you asked about equipment uh, in the studio we used. And I, I don't think I went in. Uh, I, I don't think I talked a lot about that at all. So... Both me and Nick are uh, Orange Ambassadors, and uh, I've been since 2014, and we got Nick hooked up uh, last year. So 
we have like I have I have this orange dual dark uh, hundred watts. It's really nice. It's got a like a crisp um, distorted uh, sound to it. And then I have my Sun Model T from '74, which is just dark and bassy and uh, gritty. So that makes for a nice uh, overall guitar sound. And and that's also my live setup through some uh, orange cabs. And I think we borrowed Oscar's um, brother's uh, cab, too. He makes cabs. I, I think they're called Karma, uh, like nice uh, 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 exposed wood um, cabs. And uh, I think Nick played some old acoustic head at the time uh, in the studio. Um, and... Uh, along with uh, the studio's own uh, Ampeg SVT uh, amp. That's basically what we used. Um, Nothing, um, you know, no rocket science there. So just mixing some old stuff with new. Final words. Final words. uh, Come out to see us. We tour the U.S. uh, most of March. Um, come out, see us, come say hi and, uh, uh, buy our shit. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, ask me these questions. I do appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. This has been an interview with fire breather on Monday, January 31st, 2022 by Nick Perkel.